How's it going, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, episode 18 here today on the last day of June. We got a lot going on. Um, just kind of an overview. We got, you know, the NHL wrapped up this past week. We got the PGA Tour going on. Another guy left for the Live Golf. MLB standings update this week. And we got some news added on to that. NCAA baseball, we got a lot of stuff. Is this is kind of the last week? other than transfers that we're going to talk about. Uh, NBA, the free agency opens today, so a lot of news to talk about there. And then NFL, a little bit of a lighter week in the NFL, but nonetheless still got some news to talk about. We're going to kick it off here with our last bit of NHL. So game five and game six, the Stanley Cup finals were played this past week. And in game five in Denver, teams alternated goals the whole game pretty much. Uh, The game was tied with under seven minutes remaining, and Tampa Bay scored to take a 3-2 lead. They ended up not scoring any. They ended up not giving up any goals, so they held on to win it by that score, three to two, behind great defense on the road. Uh, impressive win there for them in Denver, but they needed to win a few more in a row to clinch the Stanley Cup. But the next game in Game Six, a couple days later on Sunday in Tampa Bay, uh, the Lightning jumped out to a quick 1-0 lead, just three minutes and 38 seconds into the game. But in the second period, Colorado added two goals of their own to take a 2-1 lead. And there weren't many shots in, on goal in the third period. So the Avalanche went on to win by that score 2-1. And it was their first title in 21 seasons. Um, impressive playoff run from them as they won the finals in six games. Definitely think they were the team most deserving of it. They were the most consistent and Played the best overall. Yeah, no doubt. A really good series, though. A lot of good hockey was played. Like you said, they were just a better team the whole series. Um, you know, Lightning squeaked out a win in game five. Game six came around, and they and the Avalanche got it done. Their defense was smothering. They played really good defense all series, especially when they got to overtime a couple games ago. And then, again, the third period in game six, they really clamped down. It was really impressive. So, really good into the series. Really good series in general. Good to see kind of the conclusion of the season kind of go well and be competitive. Uh, the NHL draft will take place in Montreal on Thursday, July 7th, and conclude the next day on July 8th. Kind of wrap up our, our NHL coverage for this season. Um, we'll most likely get back to it during next season. If any kind of big news, large agency signings, or maybe the first overall pick, if he's even supposed to be a stud, we'll maybe mention it. But other than that, probably going to be the last of the NHL we talk about kind of until next season kind of ramps up. But definitely had fun talking about it. I love watching playoff hockey. It's one of the most electric times and seasons of a sport in all of sports. So definitely enjoy watching playoff hockey, but probably going to be the last that we cover the NHL for a little bit. Yeah, no, I definitely think it's an electric environment watching playoff hockey, like you said. And just when the stakes are much higher, it's more fun to watch. Not really your typical NHL fan, kind of just tune in for the playoffs. We'll watch a few regular season games occasionally, but normally it's just the playoffs. So that'll close out the NHL segment. As we move on to the golf world, uh, another busy week in the golf world as we had yet another golfer defect from the PGA Tour to the Live Golf Series. Matthew Wolf joined them this past Monday and will play at their event at Pumpkin Ridge Golf Club in Portland, Oregon starting today. I mean, he's one of the best young golfers in the game. A lot of drama surrounding him over the couple years that he's been on tour, so maybe it's a good thing that he's leaving, but not necessarily ideal. PGA Tour announced a little bit ago that about eight of their events starting in 2023 are going to have much higher payouts in an effort to kind of reduce the number of guys leaving them for more money. So stakes will get even higher next year on the PGA Tour. It should be fun. As we do shift to PGA, uh, last weekend, it was very eventful. We had some very low scores as the low score each day was 62 and then 63 each of the rest of the days. And big changes each day on the leaderboard as the Travelers Championship took place at TPC River Highlands in Cromwell, Connecticut. After the opening round, Rory McIlroy, who's one of the hottest guys on tour right now, 
was tied for the lead after shooting eight under 62. But then he went on to shoot only one under for the rest of the tourney. So he only ended up winning about 110K. But I mean, he finished tied for 19th, I believe. So not a great showing from him. Just got to figure out how to turn around those last few days. But as for the top of the leaderboard there at the Travelers, Xander Shoffley, who won the gold medal for the USA back in the Olympics, he won the tourney at 19 under, shooting 63, 63, 67, and 68. He took home 1,494,000. And the second place finisher, Sahith Agala, doubled the 18th hole while Xander Shoffley burned it to give Xander the two-shot win. So if both players parred that last hole of the tournament, Sahith would have won by one shot. However, Sahith is only 24 years old out of Pepperdine, so he has plenty of time to win events in the future. And he's played really well this year, so I think a victory is definitely coming for him in the near future. He's one of those, like Will Zalatoris, a young guy who's coming onto the scene and really taking the tour by storm and playing really, really well against the top competition in the world. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, it's good to see young guys kind of get the wins. Um, him kind of been pulling for Will for a while and he just can't seem to get it done. Shopley, same thing. So good to see Xander go ahead and get a win there. But this week, we have the John Deere Classic teeing off today at TPC Deer Run in Silvis, Illinois, which is about two hours west of Chicago. The current leader is JT Poston at eight under through 13. It's a really impressive score. Um, I don't know how the course kind of usually plays, but 813 is really impressive. And two weeks from today, the final major of the year will tee off at the par 72 St. Andrews Old Course in St. Andrews, Scotland. Uh, Colin Morikawa won the event last year. I expect him to contend for it. You know, a guy who's been pretty loyal to the PGA, I'd expect him to, to do well. Roy to do well. Uh, Scotty, all the guys who have been hot as of late, expect them to kind of perform well at this event final major of the year definitely going to tune in definitely going to watch looking forward to it in a couple weeks yeah it's going to be fun even though it's the last one definitely fun to watch the highest stakes golf matches be played each shot is just that much more important that's pretty much it for golf that we're going to be talking about today we're going to shift over to mlb where we have a standings update this week for y'all i'm going to talk about the al you're going to finish out with the nl and then get into some news surrounding the league start off with the al east here the yankees keep their large lead in the al east and the mlb over Overall, as there are 13 games up on the rest of the division, and they have the best record in the majors at 56 and 20. The Red Sox are the first team of the rest uh, behind the Yankees at 13 games back, and Toronto and Tampa are also hot on their tails at only 13 and a half and 15 games back. The Orioles are still last in the division. They've been playing really well, though. Offense has come around. They've strung together really good hits. Uh, they had a game where they had like seven homers last week. I know in the past 50 games, they're like four games over 500. So definitely a promising turnaround here. And hopefully they can kind of get up near or maybe a couple games over 500 at the end of the season. It's going to take some work. But I don't know. I mean, their pitching and offense has looked really good as of late. But as we shift to the AL Central, Twins are still up just two games on the Guardians. Both teams sit just above 500. Uh, the White Sox continue to disappoint. There are six games back of the lead and are still below 500. They just played a very disappointing series against the Orioles, which the Orioles took three of four. And then to round out that division, the Tigers and Royals both sit below 400 and have the sixth and third worst record in the majors. So kind of a lesser division is the AL Central, not really any dominating teams right now that you see in other divisions. But to round out the AL, we got the AL West where the Astros still hold a large lead in the division. They have an 11-game lead, and the rest of the division is below 500. So not like they have a ton of competition for most of their games currently, but they hold the second-best record in the majors, obviously behind the Yankees. And the Rangers, Angels, Mariners, and Athletics is the order in which the rest of the division falls. Uh, the A's have the worst record in the majors. Seems like they did everything this offseason to be bad, and they're succeeding. But definitely about what I would expect for the most part, in the AL right now, just in terms of standings, the Astros and Yankees winning the division is 
no surprise right now. And then they all central is kind of up for grabs. A tight race between the Guardians and Twins is good to see. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, no shocks there. Um, we'll kind of get into the National League news here, or rather standings first. The Mets still hold the fourth best record in the majors lead the NL East, though it's only been cut to just been cut to three games after the Atlanta Braves, who have been scorching hot in the month of June. Kind of went on a, they went on a 14-game winning streak, brought it real close. Lost a couple this week in Atlanta, or I guess this past weekend, but still made some huge jumps in there, kind of in their pursuit of the NL East. I guess in the Mets who have had an eight, 10 game lead for a while. It's been cut to just three. Phillies hits eight games back. Miami sits 12 games back. And Washington hits 19 games back. And they also hold fourth worst record in the majors. Should be a really, really awesome race for the first place division spot between Atlanta and New York as we get into the summer and push towards the trade deadline. And then kind of after that, getting into the playoff push through the months of August and September. Should be a really good race there. I'd expect that to kind of come down to the wire. Kind of, a, I think all three NL divisions will come down to the wire. I think it'll be really, really good races between two teams. Likely in each division, we'll have a two-man race for the top spot. NL Central, the Brewers are back in the driver's seat in the division after a double-digit losing streak a few weeks ago. I believe they got up to 11 or 12 straight losses. And they've really bounced back. They're seven, they've won seven of their last 10. So they've kind of really made a, a big turnaround there. St. Louis is just a half, game and a half back, though, from them. So, again, should be a great two-man race kind of as we get into the summer and get you know, into the deadline and then, kind of down to the stretch of the season. The rest of the packs below 500 and should all be selling in about the next month. Uh, the deadline is the Pirates, the Cubs, and the Reds in that order. The Reds have the second worst record in the majors. I believe the Cubs have like the sixth or seventh worst record. Both those teams have been really bad this year. Reds was expected. Cubs, a little bit disappointing from them this year. So Chicago is the fifth worst. Love the Pirates of like seventh or eighth worst. Um, there's kind of a bad division outside of the top two. Kind of been a theme this year. I think we're seeing a lot of top heavy divisions with really, really bad bottom couple teams. Kind of ranks through in the National League West. The Dodgers are up a game and a half on the Padres, who both hold the third and fifth best records in the majors. Right before a four-game step between the two starting tonight. Really the only big series this week. I didn't want to put a whole segment in there for it. If that's really the only, the only series I'm starting right here. And the Giants remain in the hunt six games back and just about 500 again. I don't know if they're going to make a push for the top spot between the Padres and the Dodgers. This could be a three-man race, but I really don't see it being that way. I don't know if the, the Giants are going to have the ammunition to go get guys at the deadline that the Dodgers and Padres will have. And then just below, and then below 500 is the Diamondbacks and Rockies expected there. Really not looking for either of those two teams to make a playoff push for the next couple of years. I know the Rockies could. Maybe in the next couple of years, they have a couple of decent bats, some decent pitching. So kind of we'll see how that shakes out there. But kind of getting the MLB news this week. A lot of news, a lot of injury news this week. Reigning at National League MVP Bryce Harper fractured his left thumb after being hit by a pitch this week. It will miss significant time. Expected to be around two to three months of missed time for him. He's aiming to be back by the end of the season and a potential playoff push for the Phillies. You know, I think Bryce is going to want to play no matter what. I think the front office will be advised not to if they're kind of in a spot where they can't really make the playoffs. It would take kind of a huge post-All-Star break push for them to kind of get into a place where they can contend for that spot, that last wild card spot. But they certainly could, no doubt, kind of see if Bryson's up playing the rest of the year. Kind of dealt with nagging injuries all season, then he has this injury that kind of set him back. So I don't think he ends up playing again. He could. I think he's going to want to, but I think the team will ultimately advise him not to. Astros superstar struggle Jordan Alvarez was carted off the field this year after a scary collision and left center field with his teammate. And they're kind of chasing a fly ball, both of them were just looking at the ball. I didn't hear the other one calling each other off. They collided. Uh, they're both being evaluated for concussions, but no word if any other injuries will come from it. Hopefully not. It sounds like there shouldn't be, but the Astros definitely missing one of the best young players in the MLB. Dodgers All-Star Mookie Betts will return prior to the All-Star break in a couple weeks. It sounds like potentially next week, early next week. I don't know if he's going to play this series against Padres. I hope he does, but I don't think he's going to. He'll return first as a designated hitter, but will likely work his way back into right field after the All-Star break. There are no rush to get him back in the field. You know, they've got plenty of guys who can play in right field. I know. 
Mookie Bestville Glover, but you'd rather have him get back just as a DH, get his swing right uh, from missing a couple of weeks before you send him in the right field where he's always going 110% for fly balls. So you'd rather kind of work him in easy as DH, which I'm full support of. And then MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred spoke at length this week about what changes he sees being in the MLB's future. And he mentioned a ton of stuff, but kind of the main three things he mentioned that kind of got the most airtime this week, got the most attention as they should, is that robot umps will be likely in the MLB by 2024. It sounds like it'll be only balls and strikes to start off with. So it probably means that we're going to have an umpire behind the plate with some sort of earpiece in. It's going to hear after each pitch, ball, or strike, and he has to call whatever's called. Next thing he said was getting the MLB to 32 teams, which would mean two expansionary teams. I'm in support of getting the MLB to two more teams. I think that would require them to kind of change a lot of their TV broadcasting rules and rights and things like that. They would probably have to reorder the divisions into like what the NFL does, eight divisions with four teams each. Or add another division in each league and then split them up a little bit. Don't know how I feel about that, but that's probably what they would have to do if they added two more teams. And the last and final more, the more certain one, kind of the most concrete of the big three that we that were mentioned was that the pitch clock basically be guaranteed to happen or I guess rather will be coming to the major league next season they had it in a double a game they've had it in triple a games Brian and I actually saw it this week at a double a game that we that we went to on Tuesday night I mean the pitch clock's nice I think it moves the game along for sure and I think uh, it's definitely something that'll benefit the MLB to have in it and then the last kind of news will run out the MLB news this week is that 12 players were suspended on the Mariners and Angels combined following a benches clearing brawl that took place between the two teams this week. I believe the largest suspension was 10 games. The short, the shortest suspension was one game. They also had an Angels player, I believe, break his wrist or fracture his wrist. Uh, he'll miss some significant time because he was jumping over a railing bell. Super athletic move from the pitcher, tripping over or whatever, going over the rail and breaking his wrist. Definitely an elite level athlete sharing the room with Mike Trout, Shohei Otani. So uh, he fits right in there. But what I think is kind of crazy about this suspension thing is 12 players are suspended, ranging from one game to 10 games, all of which are suspended more getting into a fight where the bench is cleared than the Astros players who cheated their way to a World Series. Kind of crazy that the league doesn't value the benches clearing brawl while everybody's involved. They don't suspend everybody, they only suspend 12 guys. They don't value, they value that as being worse than jeopardizing the integrity of the, of the game. So that kind of sums up how I feel about Rob Manfred and all that other stuff. Yeah, no, I think a lot of the MLB news this week, obviously. Bryce Harper getting injured just sucks. He was playing real well and good for the game always when he's healthy. But I think kind of what Manfred talked about this past week, I think, was really good. All three of the things. I mean, the robot umps are something I've been pushing for for a couple of years, which will be nice. I just hope the umps have integrity to call the right pitch if it is that way. I like the MLB getting a couple new teams. There's plenty of spots for them across the league that have other professional sports teams that don't have baseball. And then the pitch clock is nice. Most of the time, you won't see anyone using it up. In college, you will more so than the minors or majors. But I think putting that in the majors will be nice. Speed it up a little bit, but not necessarily to where it's flying by. And yeah, the Mariners Angels brawl was quite some though. That was fun to watch. Just the dudes just running at each other because I mean, they're baseball players. They're not really going to do a whole lot. But yeah, I mean, all those suspensions, there's a lot of details in it. <clears throat> I don't know who suspended what games. That was funny to see. And then obviously a dozen players being suspended. We're going to shift over to college baseball. A lot going on. We had the college baseball season wrap up this week. But before we get into the College World Series results, a lot of other news broke out. To start, this is just college news in general, but this is our only college segment to talk about this week, so we're going to mention it with this, is that the Big 12 named its new commissioner this past week as Brett Yormack take over for Bowlesby, who was the former commissioner. Uh, Yormack was formerly the COO for Rock Nation. 
So definitely a move inspired by NIL and the money side of deals now that it's legal. Definitely, I think a good hire and it should pay dividends for the Big 12 as a whole, especially as the Big 12 loses UT and OU and then gains BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston. It'll be fun to see how that plays out in the next decade or so. Hopefully he does a good job with that. But shifting back to baseball here, the LSU Tigers were quite busy this past week. Uh, They landed three big-time transfers, uh, UCLA Bruins right-hand pitcher Thatcher Hurd, Vanderbilt right-hand pitcher Christian Little, and Vandy's star shortstop Carter Young. They will all be headed to Baton Rouge for this upcoming season, but that is not it. The biggest of all was that they also landed third-team All-American Tommy White from NC State. Had an incredible freshman campaign with the Wolfpack this past year. Just really impressive. Obviously, money is the deciding factor for all those guys, but impressive from LSU to be able to do that and get all those guys. I thought they would be a little better this past year. I think LSU will make a trip back to Omaha next year. It sure looks like it on paper, so we'll see how that plays out for them, but SEC should be fun to watch next season. And then Texas Tech landed a transfer of their own as Nolan Hester, a graduate transfer from Wofford, will join the Red Raiders this upcoming season for his final year of eligibility, similar to what Cooper Swanson did this past year. Hester batted 321 this past season and 363 in 2021. He's also a plus defender and really good friends with some of the guys on the team. He will likely take over the spot in left field vacated by Easton Morrell this past year. So Hester will probably play left field uh, this upcoming season and then it will go to someone else as he only has one year left of eligibility. I mean, a good pickup, I think. Obviously, knowing some guys on the team already kind of helps with your decision. Tech should be competitive again next year, hopefully host a super at least, and I think we'll probably get a couple more transfers, likely a pitcher, and then maybe another fielder. Yeah, I mean, a lot of transfer news this week. Um, kind of LSU certainly had the forefront of it, getting Tommy White, Tommy Tanks. Something we talked about on the pod, actually, I think I'd mentioned that LSU was a team that had jumped out to both of us, just because, again, they're a team that was, you know, they were at the top of the top. They were the best for a long time, and um yeah, they're desperate to get back there, and I think getting Tommy White certainly helps with that. But kind of shifting into the recap of college baseball season, this week they concluded uh, the Ole Miss Rebels swept the Oklahoma Sooners in the final series in the College World Series 2-0. to zero. They outscored the Sooners 14-5 to five in the series as their pitching was the main story. Kind of was the main story for them, kind of the entire tournament. Their pitching really came on late, kind of as the tournament started in the regionals. You know, they got some key contributions from some freshmen, that, from starters and out of the bullpen that were incredible. Um, you know, you don't always see that from freshmen. It's late in the year, but it was very impressive. Certainly good to see a Final Four team that got, got in. Um, the NCAA came out and said, I think, a couple weeks ago that they were one of the last four into the tournament, so that's pretty cool. They went on, got hot, and won. Early impressive turnouts for both teams, though, to close out the year. And Oklahoma was maybe the hottest in the country going into the tournament. You know, we we saw firsthand what they did to Texas Tech in uh, in Amarillo and then in Lubbock. They're a really good baseball team. Highly touted next year. They're going to bring back a lot of guys. You know, not super surprising that, you know, they made it, seeing what they did late in the season, but uh, really good to see kind of two really impressive turnarounds from both of those squads. And I kind of during the college baseball offseason, really only going to talk about big time transfers and Texas Tech news. So any Texas Tech transfers, obviously any news within the Texas Tech team and then any big transfers. So again, there's going to be a few more, you know, like I said, Tommy Tanks, a guy like that transfers, we're going to talk about it. Other than that though, we probably won't talk about much. We're not going to go over commits that go to Texas, Texas A&M or Oklahoma. We're just going to talk about guys that go to Texas Tech, you know, commit to us on that kind of thing. We're kind of shifting the MLB here and we'll kind of go over the MLB kind of the draft or MLB NBA recap uh, the draft this week. And then we'll kind of get into some other news, um, some free agency news. This free agency is going to start here, please. Yeah, no, the, the College World Series final was fun to watch. Definitely 
dominant from Ole Miss there and impressive how they turned around their season. Yeah, NBA draft was this past week. There were lots of surprises, but in terms of the top five picks, there weren't any. Uh, we saw Apollo Bancaro go number one, Chet Holmgren go number two, Jabari Smith number three, Keegan Murray number four, and Jaden Ivey number five. And those are pretty much the consensus top five. Whether Ivey was going to go four or Murray was, wasn't entirely positive, but it was about expected. Those are the top five guys. They had impressive seasons this past year, have really high upside. So it was no shock early on, but from pick six on, there were plenty of surprises. We're going to talk about our own team's picks here and then go into each a surprising pick. So the Spurs had four picks going into the night, three picks in the top 25. Uh, number nine overall, they selected power forward Jeremy Sohan from Baylor. He'll start this year, and he'll likely play the three or the four for him. 20, they selected Malachi Branham, the shooting guard from Ohio State. Just another 6'5 guard on the roster. Definitely will get some playing time down the stretch. I mean, a lot of guards on the team right now. And then at 25, they selected another shooting guard, Blake Wesley from Notre Dame, whose final co- collegiate game was against Texas Tech in the opening round. Not a bad draft. Just kind of disappointed at the end of the night with their final pick, the 38th overall pick. They actually traded it to Memphis for the Lakers 2024 second round and cash. The Grizzlies then took point guard Kennedy Chandler there with that pick. So we would have been able to get Chandler at 38 and maybe taken a center at 20 or 25 would have been a lot better. There's promising guys in this class that the Spurs took and the Spurs are rebuilding kind of right now. Uh, maybe in a couple of years, they'll be right there at the top of the West, hopefully. I mean, they're kind of going through the phase that everyone knew they would eventually. Pop's last couple of years, Brent Brown is going to be hired as an assistant on the staff. Whatever direction they choose to go in after Pop will kind of determine how long they're looking to rebuild, but it's at least going to be for this upcoming season. But yeah, I mean, it's exciting as a Spurs fan kind of entering this new era while, you know, how the week played out wasn't ideal. I like the direction they're going. I think They obviously know what they're doing. You look back 25 years ago, you know, David Robinson broke his foot. They had a bad year. They allowed him to draft Tim Duncan. And then obviously they won four titles with them. And then one after so much stuff could happen here for the Spurs. They've known, they've been known to turn around quick the last time they're rebuilding. So hopefully it happens again. But yeah, I mean, I liked the draft overall. I think they made, I mean, obviously Sohan at nine wasn't my favorite, but I think they made the right move knowing what he can be only playing college basketball one year, playing really well for him down the stretch. So it looks promising. It'll be fun to see how it goes for the Spurs. Yeah, certainly, like you said, not a, not a huge shock in the top five. You know, we expected Jabari Smith to get one for a while, and then, you know, about 30 or 40 minutes before the draft started, it leaked that the Magic had kind of been playing games the whole time, and they were going to pick Van Carroll all along. I know the league was pretty pissed that guys like Woj and Shams were kind of leaking all this information and all this stuff was coming out before the draft. I mean, as a fan, I personally kind of agree. I'm really not a fan of, like, guys spoiling the draft. Like, I, I like I personally would rather just watch it live and not have everyone on Twitter talking about it, especially four hours before the draft starts, we're leaking information that we expected to be surprised with at one. So kind of annoying. Um, I, I'm, I'm in full support of what the NBA said about how they're tired of people spoiling it, that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the, I'm on board there. But yeah, like you said, not a, not a ton of shocks there from one to five and then from six on was a bunch of surprises. Can I get into the Lakers pick? They traded cash consideration to Denver for the 35th overall pick. Didn't have any picks in this draft as they sent all of them to the Pelicans or both picks they had uh, for Anthony Davis a couple of years ago. 
I believe they don't have a pick in the first round for another couple of years. I believe 2026 is their first pick if they don't trade it in the next couple of years. But they're with their 35th overall pick. They drafted Max Christie, a shooting guard for Michigan State. Really would have similar to Austin Reeves. A lot of similarities in their games. I think, you know, Austin has had a great rookie year for them. He had a really, really good year. Did, did some unexpected stuff for them, which I, you know, was happy with. I think he's definitely kind of a young guy that should keep on the team. He's just kind of a shooter. Kind of always want to have that kind of guy. So... I think Christie's a similar deal. I think he's going to be primarily a shooter, but when you're building with limited capital that they have, got to sign guys that you think can fill roles. And I think if they want to fill the role of shooter through the draft, I'm, I'm all for it. Wasn't my favorite pick with the board that was there. Uh, would have rather they drafted maybe EJ Liddell or Kennedy Chandler, but again, that's what they pick. I'm going to, I'm going to trust the process there. That kind of turned around quick. You know, 2020, they win in the bubble. And then in 2021, had Anthony Davis not gotten hurt. I mean, they were up 2-1 the Suns in the first round series. So I think they could have made a run. Eventually got to the finals like the Suns did. Um, had Anthony Davis not gotten hurt in the late stages of game three. Certainly a lot of talent there. A lot of potential. Just kind of got to get healthy and maybe get Westbrook off the team, which we're going to talk about in a little bit here. I guess we get into some surprising picks. I think we each have one we're going to talk about. I went with a first-round guy, a guy who went in the first round that I really didn't think was going to. The Nuggets drafted Christian Braun at number 21 overall, kind of the wing. I don't want to call him a guard or a forward. He's just kind of a wing player. I guess shooting guard slash small forward, Christian Braun out of Kansas. Kind of shocking that he went at 21. I thought it was a little rich. I thought there was other guys on the board that they could have taken. At the wing spot, EJ Liddell being another one that went late. Not surprised he went that late in the second round. But again, a guy like him who has a little more scoring juice, I thought the Nuggets could have afforded to get a healthy scorer considering the fact that Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. just can't stay healthy. And those are their primary scores instead of Jokic. So a little surprising with Braun. He's a solid player. I just didn't think he'd go at 21. It seemed a little rich for what his skill set is going into the NBA. Thought, like I said, thought he'd go in kind of the 28 to 40 range. Clearly the Nuggets saw something there. They, they've drafted pretty well as of late. So they see something that they like there. So they went with it. Yeah, that's definitely one of the many surprising pick. Did think he would go later as well. My main surprise was Kennedy Chandler being drafted at 38. Uh, shocker. Most people thought he would be top 20 to 25 pick. Incredible defender this past season for Tennessee. I didn't think that many teams would pass up on him going at 38. I mean, same with EJ Liddell. People thought would go earlier and they didn't really go early. So it was kind of surprising to see how far they were going to fall. Pretty much wraps up what we're going to talk about in terms of the NBA draft. Obviously a lot more picks and surprises that we could get into, but we're just going to talk about a few. We're going to shift over to kind of NBA, but before that last bit of college news, some big news as once a number one prospect, Moni Bates, committed to Eastern Michigan, played with Memphis this past year. Kind of a surprising move for him. Uh, definitely a guy that I wouldn't take a chance on in the pros. Didn't really do a whole lot, underperformed, and then leaves for Eastern Michigan. A little bit of a shocker. Like I said, NBA is heating up. Free agency opens today at 5 Central. So a lot to discuss, kind of teams getting the cap right before the window opened. It was announced yesterday that the NBA salary cap will increase to $123.6 million, which is up 10% from $112.4 million this past season. So a little bit of money going into the players. Started off, the New York Knicks traded center Nerlens Noel and shooting guard Alec Burns to the Detroit Pistons to try and help clear cap space to pursue Jalen Brunson. Brunson's going to get maybe up to 27 annually, which is just crazy. The Washington Wizards made a trade with the Denver Nuggets. They sent Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Ish Smith to Denver in return for Will Barton and Monty Morris, so just a two-for-two two player swap. Not sure what the goal is there. Maybe just kind of fill out a depth chart a little bit. But San Antonio Spurs made the biggest trade of them all. Uh, they sent star point guard DeJounte Murray to the Atlanta Hawks in return for Danilo Gallinari, which isn't certain to try and allocate some of his money elsewhere. He is done in Atlanta, but it's not certain. It was announced that he was a part of the deal going to San Antonio, but he could potentially be traded elsewhere to help the Spurs accumulate even more picks. But that is the case as of now that he is going to go to San Antonio. But along with that, they also got Charlotte's 2023 first rounder. 
and Atlanta's 2025 and 2027 first rounders. And they're swapping picks in 2026. Yeah, definitely. DJ was one of my favorite guys in the league, favorite guy on my team. It's definitely tough to watch him get traded, but I think it was definitely the right move. There were rumors saying he wasn't going to sign an extension this summer. Whether that was actually true or not, I don't know. But I mean, in two years, he's unrestricted. So as of now, the Hawks only have him for two years and the Spurs got their picks. I mean, obviously they drafted DJ in the first round and they got three first round picks back plus more. So definitely your return on investment. It's a bummer that they couldn't come to a contract agreement, but I think he's definitely going to get the max somewhere else. And I think He's well-deserving of it. I mean, an incredible year this past year. Second in the league in triple-doubles. He led the league in steals and steals per game. Yeah, just overall impressive year from him. Really, really good defender. Thought he should have won most improved. Thought he should have been on an all-defensive list. It's sad, and I really hope to see him flourish in Atlanta with Trey Young. That's my favorite backcourt duo now. It's going to be electric. I'll be looking forward to see how it goes for them. You know, definitely a big move. Seems like one that the Spurs kind of saw on the horizon going into the draft. I think that kind of Helps justify them taking two shooting guards uh, in the first round. You know, if they knew this, I, I would have taken Johnny Davis at nine over Sohan and maybe gone with a, a power forward or center later in the draft. But you know what? They've historically drafted well, not necessarily in the last couple of years, but they have historically drafted very well. So I think it's smart to trust the process there potentially for a little bit. Definitely something they probably saw coming. I think the Hawks probably win the deal, though. In fact, they didn't have to give up John Collins. They only gave up Gallinari a few first. You know, I think John Collins probably still going to get dealt. Sounds like he is still in a lot of trade talks. I don't know what they would go get for him. I'm not really sure. I think that trio of Collins, Young, and, and Murray is really, really solid. I think that's something to build around. But, you know, Atlanta also paid John Collins a lot of money. So I don't know. Maybe they go move him and go get another guy, maybe a more solidified, bona fide star. So we'll see. But kind of a bunch of free agent news as we kind of get into, like Brett said, free agency starting tonight, 5 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Eastern. Start off with the Houston Rockets and guard John Wall reached a buyout agreement earlier this week. So that means Wall, they basically just buy out the rest of his contract the remaining year and he gets to become a free agent. He announced that he intends to sign with the Clippers. Um, kind of a surprising move. I don't really know what that's going to hold for them. I think the other guys have gotten buyouts this free agency season right before free agency starts. A lot of big names, but it's a lot of guys who I think are really, really washed at this point in their career. And John Wadden played basketball in probably two years, so no idea what that kind of what the future holds for him and the Clippers there. Washington Wizards star guard Bradley Beal, who also hadn't played in about a year, declined his $36.4 million option for the upcoming season, making him a free agent this offseason. You know, he'll likely go get similar money, I think. You know, a guy who hadn't played in a minute, but still a very high-level scorer. Potentially gets, you know, a big deal somewhere else, maybe even a sign-in trade if he wants to go. So a certain couple teams, Philadelphia 76ers star James Harden declined his $47.4 million option this year, and he intends to re-sign with the Philadelphia 76ers to give them a, a lighter cap load for him. You know, I mean, it makes sense. I think they you know, they want to keep him long-term, but they have to clear the cap a little bit to get that team better. So definitely the smart move there. I'm surprised he's going to decline nearly $50 million. Nonetheless, I gain a lot of respect for the fact that he's going to do that and try and win. Not necessarily a guy that I would have expected to do that. Not a guy who did that in the past, so... I'm good on James Harden for riding that ship, you know, taking the less money to kind of get the team better. And then following Kemba Walker's trade from New York to Detroit on draft night, we didn't talk about it. There was about a million draft trades. We weren't going to get to talk about all of them. One of them was that they moved Kemba Walker to Detroit to kind of clear some more space for Jalen Brunson. He and the Pistons reached a buyout agreement and he'll become a free agent. No idea what he's going to do. Again, another guy who's a big name is not very, not 
nearly what they were. He's a little bit washed now. So interesting to see where he signs and for how much. Brooklyn Nets guard Kyrie Irving opted into his player option for the 2022-2023 season. Keeping with the team for now, keywords there for now. The trade rumors still swirl around him. A trade appears to still be looming potentially. So I'm not really sure what's going to go on there. And then a similar situation, Los Angeles Lakers guard Russell Westbrook opted into his $47.1 million player option. I probably would too. Again, keeping with the team for now. Similarly to Irving though, trade rumors are going to continue. They still continue to circulate around Westbrook. You know, I don't think him opting in guarantees his spot on the roster next year. I really think he's going to go, you know, not be on the team next year. I, I just, I don't know how you can justify one, paying him that much money, and two, you can't go build around LeBron and AD with Westbrook on the roster. I think they've got to, you know, I thought it was a mistake when they made the move last year for him last summer. I thought they should have kept Kuz. They should have kept Caruso. They should have resigned him. They should have kept all the guys they moved and the picks they moved uh, to get Russell Westbrook. To get, to get Westbrook, I just thought that they should have, you know, went another direction, traded for another guy, or potentially just not done it. I think they should have kept their guys, but that's neither here nor there now. Um, they made the move, and definitely a lot of a lot of agency news is going to be kind of dropping tonight that we'll get to next week on the pod a lot of trade news probably within the next week or so so definitely look forward to that on the pod as well yeah no very exciting week coming up like you just mentioned about five dudes opting in opting out buyouts just to free up some money get the money ready to spend elsewhere teams look to improve this upcoming season definitely gonna be looking for Shams and Woj tweets uh, starting tonight and on for the next probably a couple weeks or so. Uh, that wraps up the NBA segment. Before we round out the podcast, we got to talk about some NFL here. Deshaun Watson's disciplinary hearing has been ongoing this week. Uh, rumored and expected conclusion is to be an indefinite suspension, but it will last no shorter than one year. So he'll be out, it seems to be, at least this upcoming season, possibly more. We may never see him play again. We've already talked about this numerous times. Be, I'll be glad when they reach a resolution so we don't have to talk about it all the time. But definitely a guy I want to see play on the field. But obviously there's disciplinary action that take place. And I think they're going about it the right way. I know I said about a month ago. But as of now, a final ruling should be finalized in about the next couple weeks. But yeah, d- unfortunate for him. And I think that he's definitely a guy is good for a team. Um, but too much going on off the field for him. To contribute to the Browns, at least for the season, uh, remains to be seen what the official ruling is on that. And the Houston Texans are also being sued for apparently enabling Deshaun Watson's conduct during his massages. Don't know about how that came to be. Uh, kind of something as of the last few days. Definitely a weird scenario there. I mean, the Texans got out of it just in time, and now they're being sued. So it'll be something to kind of keep tabs on and see how that develops. But in terms of the only signing this week, some news, but the only signing that we had really was that the Washington Commanders and star wide receiver Terry McLaurin agreed to a three-year contract extension worth $70 million. The numbers are quite impressive. He is a second wide receiver from that loaded 2019 class to sign an extension. Obviously, on draft night, A.J. Brown signed the four-year $100 million extension as he was traded to the Eagles. But for McLaurin's deal, it's 53.154 mil guaranteed, 34.6 mil fully guaranteed at signing, another 12.5 mil guaranteed in March of 2023 if he's still on the roster, a signing bonus of 28 mil, and many more incentives, uh, Pro Bowl, All-Pro, stuff like that. So definitely a really good payday for one of my favorite guys in the league. Um, He released a long message on his socials earlier, just, I mean, kind of message you see when guys retire or leave a team, but he's simply just re-signing with the team that drafted him, and he's very appreciative. So it's good to see him get the money. A guy that I think would be regarded much higher and talked about as a much better receiver if he 
you know, had the drama surround him that other receivers do. He's a very low-key receiver, very, very good. I mean, regardless of who they have at quarterback, whether it was Fitzpatrick or Heineke or whatever, he was producing. Really impressive start to his career, and I hope it continues for him. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head, a guy who would definitely get a little more respect and love around the league. If he was a little louder or maybe, you know, had a better quarterback situation, he's really, I mean, think about his quarterback since he came into the league. It was Dwayne Haskins, Alex Smith, who was a shell of himself. You know, really wasn't coming back to be a, a long-term starter. He came back, you know, proved to himself that he could still play in the league after that injury. Taylor Heineke, arguably the best starter he's had. I think he had Pitts Magic for a little bit too. So I think for what, like about a game, game and a half. So, you know, I think Terry getting Wentz should have a huge year. I'm not saying Carson Wentz is by any stretch of the imagination and the quarterback, but he's probably better than everything that they've had so far. So definitely look for Terry to have a big year, but kind of going to wrap up the pod here today with the NFL news that we're going to wrap up with here. There's reported to be mutual interest between Seattle Seahawks and Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield. It seems like the only place he can go right now, to be honest with you, that he can go play at. I mean, Carolina's another option, but Carolina drafted Matt Corral. They're also going to be in a position to go draft, you know, quarterback next year. I think Seattle would too, but I think Seattle's the place where Baker could go and probably be the most successful in terms of what they have around him with DK and, and Tyler Lockett and then drafting Kenneth Walker and making improvements along the offensive line at tackle, you know, drafting Cross and drafting Abram in the drafts or Abe Lucas rather. So I think that probably ends up happening. I think maybe a trade for a seventh or just a, he gets released and they go sign him. I'm not really sure yet, but he's not going to play for the Browns. Uh, it does sound like they are ready to move forward. With Jacoby Brissett following Deshaun's suspension. Sounds like they're confident in him. I wouldn't be, but that's just what they're going to do. And then kind of with the final news today, former All-Pro cornerback, Akeem Tlaib, likely Hall of Famer is the latest player to join the Amazon desk for the Thursday Night Football coverage. It sounds like he's going to be doing some pregame. Is he going to be doing pregame or is he going to be calling the games? I, mean, I hope he's I calling the games. I think it's just pregame, halftime, and postgame. He should call their games. He's a, he calls really good games. He's great pregame as well. I've seen him do both. I'd love to see him call a game potentially for them, but uh, definitely getting him in pregame is going to be great. Kind of pregame, postgame, halftime. So they're going to have a, they have a great squad there with its magic and now to leave. So they're putting together a serious squad. It sounds like they're also going to have the McAfee cast potentially kind of like the Manning cast that should, should be great sounds like Amazon's really going to get it going and do it right which I'm looking forward to so but that kind of wraps up with all the NFL news today kind of with the pod news where I kind of get into the ice bath here I think we each have one today do you want to go first or want me to go first I'll go first the NBA draft wrapped up a bunch of sources kind of releasing their 2023 mocks and stuff like that as they normally do right after the current one concludes so consensus top pick in the 2023 NBA draft Victor Wembanyama uh he's basically Kevin Durant 2.0 coming out of college or he plays in France, much better version of Chet Holmgren, just in terms of maybe not a pro projection. He's only listed at 7'3", 230 pounds, but there was a picture with him, Chet, and Jaden Ivey, and he absolutely dwarfs Chet, let alone Jaden. He looks like he's at least three inches taller than Chet. Uh, they're both, you know, obviously in basketball uniform, so it's even, but he has like a 7'10 wingspan, insane, and he has 40 pounds on Chet, so definitely... Crazy size, and I do with the 710 wingspan should be unfair at the next level if he's playing, you know, the four or the five. So, as of now, he's gonna be the top guy. I'm, I'm sure some college guy will probably take him over and go ahead of him. I mean, if the Spurs got him, I would be pretty pumped. I know it's just crazy that a dude this tall is that much taller than Chet, who was apparently 7'2. If Chet, you know, Chet was talking to David Robinson during the lottery, David Robinson's 7'1", and Chet was two inches taller than him, so Chet would be 7'3". And this dude, Victor, was three inches taller than Chet, so we're talking like 7'6", but I don't know who had him listed at 7'3". Definitely does not seem right. But yeah, it'd be fun to see how he translates into the pros, assuming nothing happens this upcoming year. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Listed at 7'3", might be taller than that. Pushing Yao Ming for the tallest guy in the league, potentially at 7'6", so should be interesting to see kind of how his draft process goes. Be curious to see 
how he plays next year, but it should be interesting. My ice bath today is going to be former NFL MVP, future Hall of Fame running back Adrian Peterson. Used to be one of my favorite players growing up. I loved how he recovered from his ACL tear and came back and almost had a record-setting year. Thought it was really cool. Former NFL All-Pro running back Le'Veon Bell are reportedly going to be boxing in an upcoming match. I'm putting all my money in Adrian Peterson. Putting all of it on AP, no question. He's going to rock Lev Bell. I don't care how much younger he is than AP. Lev Bell is getting TKO'd within like the first two rounds. I don't care. I mean, listen, Le'Veon Bell, is, he's a little smaller than, than AP. I think AP's going to have a little more of a uh, force behind his punch. Seems a little more athletic as well. I mean, AP looks really good in retirement. I don't know if you saw him on the McAfee show during like the whole like Super Bowl weekend. I'm definitely taking AP. I'm not going to pay to watch it if I can see it for free. Maybe I'll tune in. Maybe I'll just see the clip on Twitter of the knockout. But I'm putting all my money in Adrian Peterson to knock Love Bell out cold. No question. Yeah, that would be fun to see how that goes. But yeah, I think AP will win. I think Love Levian will bring it out maybe a little bit, but I definitely think, you know, Adrian Pearson will take home a dub, whatever kind of trophy money stakes match they got going on. It will likely go to him. Um, but yeah, that's, that'll be interesting. Never really seen that before where two former NFL players boxing. Well, you had the that, Frank Gore and Darren Williams fight, but I don't know yeah. why Frank Gore took that match because Darren Williams is like six foot four and Frank Gore's like five, eight, bro. What are you doing? I believe yeah, I think Frank, Frank got knocked out yeah. by Darren Williams, which I mean, listen, the guy's way taller than him. He's got way longer arms in a boxing match. I was not taking Frank Gore to win two. I don't think we've seen two former NFL guys play let alone two yeah. guys who were at the top of their game. I mean, AP is the best running back coming to the NFL since LT. And before that, I mean, who knows? He was kind of the last era of like the workhorse back, you know what I mean? Like he was kind of the last running back of that era of running backs were in the league. So I mean, he's the last guy to win MVP at running back. Derrick Henry might win it this year. I mean, it's another topic for another time, but they got, that guy was, I mean, he was the best of the best. He's no question first about Hall of Famer and Left Bell was on that trajectory. And then he, I don't know what happened to him. Maybe he like focused on rapping too much. I don't know. His, his raps were terrible. Though. I don't know if you ever heard his yeah. songs. They were garbage. No, yeah, I'm well aware of how the songs were. He was a guy that, you know, when he was a free agent after Pittsburgh, I really, really wanted him. I stayed up till 1 p.m. or 1 a.m. There were so many clues coming out about where he would sign next. There was like purple in his album cover, so people thought that would be a Ravens hint. And then you had to listen to his songs to figure out if he'd said anything. Uh, he ultimately ended up choosing the Jets, and he didn't really do anything. So I'm really glad, looking back, that we didn't get him because then we had a really good running back room ever since, aside from the injuries this past year. But that'll be interesting to see how that goes, like I said. But that pretty much wraps up episode 18 today that we have for y'all. Nothing really new to say. Follow us on socials, on Twitter and Instagram at Cold Seat Podcast. We got episode 19 coming next Thursday. Might start to discuss a revised schedule here going into the NFL season and with the school year starting up in about a month and a half. So as now, we're just sticking with episodes every Thursday with all the news from the major sports that we talk about each week. But we appreciate y'all tuning in, getting this content to you at least once a week. So we will see y'all next week for episode 19. Yep. See you guys later.